A warning. This episode contains some explicit language. Previously on this season. Football is definitely a mental game, and just being able to get your mind back on track, knowing that there's something bigger than the last play and the play before the game before is definitely helpful. We all learn through our experiences. I've learned a great deal since that time. Unfortunately, I can't go back and change things. I wish I could. So you may not have won, but we saw progress, and as long as you're seeing steady progress, I feel that is a win. It may not be a win in the stats column. It's, it's not an overnight change. We live in a world of statistics and numbers, GDP, presidential approval ratings, the NFL scoreboard, data points that help us understand our obsessions. And these facts are multiplying. How many steps did you take today? How long did your baby sleep? As the Lions attempt a turnaround, you better believe the players and coaches are paying close attention to their own stats. And for these numbers, they depend on a small staff of part-time statisticians who attend every home game. They sit up in the press box, and on laptops and on paper, they try to faithfully log what's unfolding on the field. Susan Crane. James Barish. Can you explain what you do? I'm a software developer. And I'm an intellectual property attorney. No kidding. And there's this guy. Jordan Spreckman, head statistician. His day job? Wealth advisor at J.P. Morgan Chase. He helps rich people preserve and grow their money. For these part-time statisticians with high-powered careers... Calling numbers on a Saturday is relaxing. It's high stress the first few times you do it. After a while, as with anything else, you get used to it. It becomes routine. I mean, I've never been an air traffic controller, but I would imagine an air traffic controller would probably say the same thing. And they got more at stake than I do. Every so often, Jordan has to adjudicate. Whether that quarterback draw on third and fourth or whatever it was, where he was tackled for a loss should be counted as a sack or as a rush. That's the kind of thing that somebody's got to make a decision on. Those are the kind of discretionary decisions that really the reason that you need a head statistician to just make that decision. But more often, he's just shooting the shit while recording the numbers. Jordan added a new channel on our cable system. We now got the odd couple at 10 p.m. on Sunday nights. What channel? Meat. Oh, the meat channel. Yeah. Yes. On this. You like the meat channel. Yeah. It's not quite like watching TV, but the farthest people from the field are making the most precise calls. And this is a great place to sit if you want an overview. But you miss a lot, too, when you only look at the box score. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. This week, measuring success. How do you know how you're doing? If we're talking sports, or business, or politics, or entertainment, you probably look at the numbers, and there are so many numbers to look at. Well, stats can tell you a lot, but they are never the whole story. Here's one way to look at where the Lions stand today. Going into the Harvard game, Columbia has two wins and five losses. Not great. And Harvard? They've won the last 21 games. Last week, Matt and I had just wrapped up the last episode, and we found ourselves both clicking over the Ivy League football standings, anticipating the next game against Harvard. And we were really geeking out on these numbers. Columbia, by the way, was in second to last place ahead of Cornell, but they're in third place in terms of points they've allowed their opponents, meaning they have a strong defense. My dad, my uncles, most of my male relatives would be proud to hear me talking like this. 
I was probably the only boy in my class who didn't trade baseball cards. Well, the numbers tell a pretty clear story about Harvard. The team is nationally ranked. In the last three matchups with Columbia, Harvard scored a combined 148 points. The Lions scored zero. The challenge this week is to break that pattern. One Lion who is totally dedicated to getting a win is senior defensive end Chad Washington. Practice, lifts, play, he loves it all. I guess I'm I'm a little different in the fact that I've always thought football was fun. You know, like the, the grind, the, the parts where people are like, oh, this, this sucks, like my body. I just, I, I crave it all. I, I love it. Chad's a big guy who wears a charm bracelet with little images of saints. And for reasons we're about to get into, he knows much more about making a comeback than your average college student. About two and a half years ago, Chad unexpectedly landed in pretty serious trouble. It was a late night in May 2013. He'd been out with teammates and some of their parents. Turned into a pretty wild night. Came back at like 3 or 4 a.m. And before he got to his door, Chad encountered another Columbia undergrad, male. Exactly what happened next is disputed. Chad says... Got in a verbal argument with a kid outside of uh, our dorm. You know, he was kind of saying some disrespectful things about me and my teammates and just the whole sport of football at Columbia in general. And so I, you know, had some words of my own, so I fired back, and it was over and done with. But it wasn't over and done. Chad's life was about to be turned upside down because two days later, cops showed up wanting to talk to him. On Tuesday, I was walking to my job. I used to do catering on campus, and I was stopped by detectives, and they took me in, um, and they arrested me on charges of, of a hate crime. And I was confused as to why I was, and then after they kind of told me why I was arrested, I started to put the pieces together. Chad was arrested for a hate crime. When he got out, his lawyers showed him a stack of news clippings. It was a foot high, Chad says. In the media's version of events, Chad grabbed the other undergrad by his collar, shoved him into a wall, and said hostile anti-Asian slurs, an alleged black-on-Asian hate crime. When he finally was able to power his phone back up... I think I had like 700 text messages or something. And it was just everyone that I'd ever met, just like, what, like, what, it, what is this? You know, like, this is not, this is not Chad. Why, why am I seeing this about you? You know, like... People from all over the nation, you know, and I was just like, I was really in like a, I was trying, I had reading week coming up, so I was trying to do my finals, but I was thinking like, I'm never going to be able to get a job. I'm never going to be able to, to meet somebody and have them not know this about me. You know, I just, I thought it was, it was pretty much over. In a world where information is easy to come by, people form opinions fast. Suddenly, everyone on campus seemed to have an opinion of Chad. And things really blew up a few days later when the student radio station WKCR dug up and published dozens of tweets from football players saying ugly or just stupid things about gays and Asians and Jews. We talked about this in an earlier episode. Two of those tweets were from Chad's account. So here is a six foot four, 260 pound pariah. He stands out and he has nowhere to hide. At the same time, his legal situation was actually improving. Prosecutors dropped the hate crimes charge, so he only faced a possible misdemeanor. And after a few months, security video surfaced from the night in question, and it seemed to back up Chad's story. The district attorney dropped all charges. 
You can see why I thought the athletics department would never let me near this guy. The charge against him was dropped. He has no criminal record. But perceptions linger. Everyone has a ghost on the internet. And then this happens in September. Coach Bagnoli announces the team captains for 2015. Okay, there's a lot of guys that receive votes. Three guys that were clearly the choice, front and center, well above everybody else. And the first name he gives? Chad Washington. Chad is now a team captain. He thinks he can be a leader here. He is a leader. He's a big brother, confidant, a bridge between the players and the coaches. Chad put himself forward to do this. And when I emailed him about an interview last week, not really expecting anything, he wrote back right away. Sure, that'd be great. And I'm like, wow, this guy whose name was all over the news in the worst way, he doesn't hate reporters? Throw the rumors out the window. Throw what you've heard about me out the window. This is me now. Um, And so there was a reintroduction to my teammates. It took time to get here. Chad actually left school for a year. He went back to the Bay Area, volunteered on a city council campaign in Oakland. And he was relieved to realize that at least out there, when people opened the door to him, what they saw was a nice young man. I was kind of like a natural. I mean, when it came to like the canvassing, whether it was through the phone or, or door to door, I was able to really effectively like, convince people to, to vote for our candidate. At least I thought I was. On election day, his candidate lost. While he was away, Chad also got an internship at Charles Schwab, the brokerage house, across the bay in San Francisco. And he was reminded, if he needed any reminding, that he is always one Google search away from some very tense conversations. I was working under eight traders, and five of them were of Asian descent. And they were looking up my stats, and they came across this. This was after I'd been accepted for the job. And they had to bring me in and basically say, like... (laughs) What is this? Are you a racist? Like, are we going to work with you? Worst case scenario. And then I had to sit and talk to them, and then they proceeded to laugh it off and tell me stories of stuff that they had done in college that was 15 times worse than that and that they had never gotten caught for. Chad is now a fifth-year senior. He's roommates with the other fifth-year senior, Hunter Little, who left school because of a foot injury. I asked Chad how he measures himself. He's a defensive lineman, so the specific stat he follows is missed tackles. But for him, there's also a bigger picture. I have a, a sign that I keep on my wall at home as well as in my dorm, and it just asks a question. It says, did you get better today? Um, and that can just go into anything. That can go into, did you get better at not missing tackles? Did you get better at, you know, calling your mom? Whether it's, it's that, did you get better at economics class? It's just whatever you might have in life. Did you improve on that. And so that's something that I try to do every single day in, in my life, whatever aspect it is. Get a little bit better every day. When you're rebuilding from the bottom, that's all you can do. And a turnaround like Chad's, it takes way more time than a football season. And maybe expecting a quick turnaround from the Lions is unfair, but it's what fans and coaches and the players all want. In a 10 game season, every game means so much. The Lions are at home facing the Harvard Crimson. The air is warm and unsettled, and a flock of seagulls is wheeling above the field like an omen that humans have forgotten how to read. This week, we're going to try watching the game the way stat geeks do. We met up with the most opinionated cantankerous geek we could find. All right, Scott, here's what we're going to do. 
We are going to put the ball into the end zone. Now, I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen. But if we try hard enough, and if the good Lord is on our side, and a miracle rains down from the clouds upon us, we will put the ball into the end zone once and for all. And because Harvard, on paper, is such an impressive team, we expect the hammer to fall fast. But in the first quarter, no one scores. It's in the second quarter that the Crimson gets back-to-back touchdowns. And right after that second touchdown, Harvard kicks off to Columbia. And Lions wide receiver Dylan Weldon catches the ball and sprints north into a mess of Harvard men. Let's go, boys! The Crimson and the Lions are charging at each other. Several players collide, they spin, and they trip. And after the whistle, two players do not pick themselves up. Two injured players on the field, one Columbia, one Harvard. Columbia guy got up, uh, Harvard guy is still on the ground. Medical staff from both schools are now swarming around the injured Harvard player, who's on his back, motionless. On the field, it's somber. Almost every player on both teams is down on one knee, like a signal went out that only men in tights can hear. Eleven long minutes pass. While up in the stands with no information, the buzz of normal conversation resumes. An ambulance sneaks onto the field, no siren. The injured player lifts an arm before he's swallowed by the vehicle. He just raised his hand, everybody claps. He raised his hand like a, you know, just a gesture to say, I'm still here. The injury is obviously serious, but no one even seems to know the young man's name or exactly what happened to him. It's this jarring reminder of how dangerous football can be. And just like that, play resumes. Matt is watching with Harry Enton from the website 538. Basically, they're a news outlet that takes a statistical view of everything, from sports to politics to Sandra Bullock movies. He makes a point of coming to at least one game a year, though he never attended Columbia. Harry just grew up nearby, so this is his hometown team. At this point, it's kind of a love-hate thing. Uh, I went to pretty much every home game that wasn't a young Kippur or Rosh Hashanah from like 93 to 2000. Harry, by the way, is 27 years old. I don't know if you'd get that just from hearing his voice on the tape. It's almost the end of the second quarter, and Columbia's offense is now just a few yards away from Harvard's goal line. It's a third down, and quarterback Skylar Mornenweg attempts a touchdown pass, except no one is there to catch it. Along that back end line, and Columbia is going to be forced to try a field goal try. Really? You're two and whatever. You might as well go for it. I hope you miss it. Just prove a lesson. Harry is so worked up right now because Columbia, with zero points on the board, opts for a field goal. If you don't know football that well, it means a lower-risk strategy to get three points instead of a higher-risk play for six. Snap, spot, kick away, and the kick is good. This infuriates Harry. He's steamed. He says low-risk, low-reward ball is just a bad way to play. Great, now you're only down 11. You gotta be aggressive. Aggressive, I don't understand that. Yeah, it seems like the risk was worth it. To to, to me, the risk is worth it. You're playing Harvard, who's one of the best teams in the country. And you're down 14, you got a chance for 7. I would take that shot from two yards away instead of the three points when you're still going to be down 11. That, to me, plays like you're playing not to get shut out, not playing no win, in my opinion. 
Let me make the counter-argument here, though, since Coach Bagnoli isn't here to defend himself. By making a field goal and putting three points on the board, the Lions can go into the locker room at halftime and know they at least broke a three-year streak of shutouts. A small victory and a shot of confidence. In the third quarter, Harvard adds three more points, and they get another touchdown at the start of the fourth. Lions fans start to stream out of the stadium. And they don't know it, but this is a mistake because they're about to miss a thrilling touchdown by the Lions. Hill has to unload it. Does so down the middle of the field. He's got Dunn, and he is gone. Cameron Dunn with a 51-yard catch and run for a score. And then with barely two minutes left, another Columbia touchdown. Caught for a touchdown. Off a deflection. John Hunt. And it's 24-15. The Lions get the extra point, bringing the score to Columbia 16, Harvard 24. And that's the end of the game. And that score, particularly Columbia's inability to close that relatively narrow gap in points, is a real disappointment to Harry. And that is terribly played football <laughs> from a terrible squad. Well, seagulls shit well, on everyone we, in the We have literal seagulls coming into the stadium, excusing themselves on the fans to express their displeasure. And I hope to get out of here before I myself get excused upon. For plenty of people, it's not good enough for a team to just be doing better. Football is a game of winning and losing. When you're looking at the numbers, there's not much room for nuance. So that's a stats geek's view. Harvard's coach, Tim Murphy, has a much kinder take on Columbia at the post-game press conference. He is very complimentary to the Lions. We're tremendously impressed with their defense and just their team overall. Just a very physical team, very tough team, and obviously a much improved team, and that's exactly what we got today. By the way, the room is thick with the smell of lycra marinated in sweat from the players seated to Murphy's right. You know, their defense had only given up two touchdowns to Yale, Princeton, and Dartmouth combined in 12 quarters. Uh, we knew it would be uphill at times. Uh, I thought our kids really battled. Opposing teams' coaches, they really respect Columbia's defense. The Lions are holding everyone else to fewer points. It's a stat you notice. And I'm mentally inventorying the defensive players I've talked with, Chad, Hunter, Travis, and realizing that a lot of them are seniors. Coach Bagnoli has exactly two more chances to use this weapon. And here's another thing that might be worrying him. If Harvard wins the Ivy title this year, Coach Tim Murphy will have eight championships to his name. Bagnoli has nine. When he comes out a few minutes later, Bagnoli is asked, how are you feeling about this whole Columbia thing? Are you glad you came here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we certainly, you know, haven't been the prettiest team. We haven't been the sexiest team. Uh, but the kids have given us great effort, and they've played hard. And so I've got the tremendous amount of respect for our kids because they're giving us everything they have. And so when the game's over, there's not much left in their gas tank. The Lions used to be so bad, other teams put their second and third string guys out on the field as starters, and the Lions still lost. That did not happen today. In the final minutes of the game, Columbia worked hard to close the gap. They couldn't do it, but they're earning respect. And yet every game they lose, we hear the same refrain. This time it's wide receiver Scooter Hollis and quarterback Anders Hill. We don't really believe in moral victories. Like Coach said, we don't really believe in moral victories. What they're saying here is, it's all in whether you win or lose not in how you play the game. Well, I disagree. 
If you play your hardest, if you see yourself and your teammates grow, if you get a little better every day, then you are doing something right. There is now no chance the Lions will have a winning season, or even a 50-50 season. But Chad Washington, he sees change, and he knows there's more to it than what the win-loss column shows. Today's younger players will build on this foundation. It just it really blows for the seniors, because once the record starts showing how good we are, we're not going to be here. We're going to be able to say that, you know, we established that, we... We beat up on the guys and scout team that are that are making the record, but it's just not gonna it's, it's not gonna reflect it for us. Take it from a guy who's had his own moral victory of sorts. Reclaiming your dignity counts, and it's not something that happens quickly. Google Chad Washington today, and the top search result isn't his arrest. It's his player bio on the Columbia Football homepage. That kind of comeback has no place in the box score. Something else you won't find in the box score. Harvard freshman Tanner Lee. He was taken off the field in an ambulance with what looked like a severe concussion. Maybe it's recorded someplace else, but it's not on the public record. Next time on the season, meet the football team's most dedicated fans, or at least the weirdest ones. Upperclassmen will tell incoming freshmen, like, oh, it's the big controversial group on campus. Like, they hate political correctness and, like, really shit on everyone's feelings uh, is that true i that's a a, a complicated matter <laughs> I, I would definitely say i would never phrase it in that way if i were explaining what the band was what years of rooting for a losing team will do to you and why the columbia university marching band is maybe just a little bit afraid of a winning football team also building the lines of the future we're talking recruitment the Season is produced by Matt Collette and engineered by Casey Means. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Charlie Herman and Sean Bowditch. Jim Schachter is WNYC's vice president for news. We had help this week from Simon Lehrer. The play-by-play you heard was from Jerry Recco and Sal Licata on the Ivy League Digital Network. Some of the music you've heard is from the Columbia University Marching Band. Check them out on our website, WNYC.org, where there's a great little video about the band. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.